Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. As you all know, the focus of this entire week is to focus our hearts on chasing God, right? Where the focus is on what it looks like to truly be a follower of Jesus, to really begin developing daily rhythms where we are aware of what God is doing in our lives as well as the lives of those around us. I invite you to pray with me. Spirit of God, we know that you're already in this room. God, we ask over the next few moments that we decrease and you increase. Holy Spirit, speak. You know where we all are, each one of us. And God, right now, we ask that you give us the ability just to present the fullness of who we are right now, the good, the bad, the ugly, to lay it down at the foot of your cross. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. You know, it's easy to fall to the temptation to coast in our life with Jesus, right? If we could be honest, right? It's so easy where we can fall into the trap of doing the bare minimum, to feel like we're in God's good graces, but not enough to the point where we're made uncomfortable or too far off from the plans that we have for our lives. Regardless of where you are in your faith today, I think an even deeper way to assess where we are spiritually is determining whether Jesus Is just a savior? Is he my savior? And even more so, is he Lord of my life? Are you chasing after God more than anything else in the world right now? Or in other words, is Jesus one of the ways towards life with God? Is he your way towards life with God? And does that way form your perception? Does it form your outlook on how to live, how to think, and how to move? I know we've all heard this saying, right? Perception is reality, right? Your perception is your reality. When it comes to good things, when it comes to bad things, how you see them is truly how they are. Even when it comes to things as simple as gifts. Your perception is your reality. By show of hands, how many of you like giving gifts? All right, keep those hands up so I can take a picture and talk to you after church, all right, okay? How many of you like to receive gifts? All right, good, a lot of gifts, a lot of gifting here. A little story about me, since everyone now is being exposed to who I am via Facebook, a little Facebook stalking going on here. It's all right. I'm not worried or concerned. <laughs> little story about gifting. Anyone have that one special friend or that family member that always comes through with gifts, right? Like that one favorite aunt, grandparent, whatever. They always come through with the awesomest gift, whether it's birthday or Christmas. 
They always come through. Well, I have an aunt that does that for me. She always came through. Every Christmas, every birthday, I could expect something awesome, right? I don't know if any of you are around my age, but remember the Sega Genesis handheld thing? All, all, the, all the 90s kids... All right, okay, all right, I'm in good company, all right. The teenager's like, what is that? I don't even know. I don't even know. 16 bits? What is that? I don't. <laughs> so she would always give me like these awesome handheld games and all this stuff. So this Christmas rolls around, about nine years old. And I'm expecting that package to come in, and it comes in this, this little box, and it's sitting under the Christmas tree, and man, I can't wait for Christmas to open up this package. Now, a little bit about me. Uh, I suffered really badly uh, from anxi- anxiety, uh, especially as a, a young kid, about seven through about 14. It was really bad for me. And around like seven, eight, nine, uh, I had... suffered just i'm getting real raw y'all ready to hear some stuff all right i i had some incontinence issues like i was a bedwetter right all the bedwetters raise your no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding don't don't do don't do that don't do that but by the grace of god i've been healed uh But yeah, I'm just, you know, for me, it was, it had a lot to do with my anxiety. That's how bad it was for me. And, you know, I was that kid that was afraid to to spend the night at other friends' house because I was just so wrapped up in anxiety that it would happen. So my aunt knew this, right? She she loved me. She knew this. So uh, this Christmas, man, I open up, nine years old, my box from Aunt Katie, open that thing up, and guess what's in it? Especially... (laughs) along so along those lines <laughs> special underwear <laughs> that's probably not even legal okay right now so I'm expecting this video game right I see this this underwear and I'm like what is going on here right and so basically let me just tell you a little bit about this underwear that's no longer sold anywhere in the world probably anymore but basically like if if you're about to have an accident it would like wake you up right and so there's this buzzer that would go off So even now today, when I hear a buzzer, I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. Pray for me, all right? So anyway, I'm like upset because I'm expecting like this awesome gift. But really, she's given me that gift because she knew I was in a season of struggling. She knew how how overwhelmed and anxious I was, and and I was navigating. I'd call her on the phone crying sometimes, and okay, I'm just, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And so that was her gift to me to help me through. But as a nine-year-old, that was not no gift that I wanted, right? That's not it. But my perception, right, of seeing that as something that I didn't want, but really I I needed. She was giving that to me out of love, right? But I, I didn't see it as that. Your perception is everything, right? Think about this. The individual that sees life as a gift lives it much differently than the individual that takes it for granted, right? They tend to not get derailed when they encounter difficulty. They also smile a lot more than the average person, right? But as followers of Jesus... We have the invitation to have the perspective of seeing everything that we have, including life itself, 
as a gift from God. Somebody needed to hear that tonight. Your life is a gift. You are a gift. And as we're defining what chasing after God looks like, and even though at times we stumble, amen, we get a little distracted, we get off course, chasing after God is the only space where in your chase you will always find what you need. And that begins with having the right perspective, the right outlook on you, yourself, on God, on those around you. But all too often, we lose that perspective. We take life for granted. We start focusing on the problems rather than the problem solver, amen? We start focusing on the provision rather than the provider. We focus more on the mess than the one who can remove it all away. We lose our way. It's a great quote. From this author, H.M. Tomlinson, he says this, we see things not as they are, but as we are. Right? We see things not as they are, but as we are. Our perception is our reality. And as followers of Jesus, we are invited to have a kingdom of God perspective. My question to you is, if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, do you see his love and his grace as a gift? Do you see the invitation not only to eternal salvation, but also to do the things that he did and live the way that he did as a gift? Even deeper, is Jesus enough for you? Is he enough for you? If you see his grace, if you see his love, if you see his mercy as a gift, and in the depths of your hearts, you firmly believe that Jesus is truly enough for you, then there will be a real evidence by the way you live your life. There will be an evidence of the way you live your life. It's not something that you just think about. It's just not something you talk about. There will be an evidence in the way that you live your life. What's crazy is that Christians all over the world have a different idea of what that life is supposed to look like, which is really unfortunate. Especially more recently during these divisive times, the the church, many churches, have become divided based on political views and all the other issues that we face as a society. We've lost our focus. If we take a look at Jesus and everything he did all throughout scripture, we see him tending to those in need. We see him loving those that are deemed unlovable. We see him feeding the hungry, healing the sick, mending broken hearts, reestablishing identities. So here's the deal. Chasing after God, following Jesus is not complicated, but it is challenging. And one of the biggest challenges of following Jesus today is comfort. 
comfort. Tim Keller is a great pastor, leads a church planning network in New York City. He says this, any person who only sticks with Christianity as long as things are going his or her way is actually a stranger to the cross. That if you're in this thing just to make sure things go okay in your life, then you actually don't get it. You're actually missing a big point of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. I'd even go as far as to say this. Oftentimes, as we focus on keeping our comfort, we end up neglecting our calling. In order to keep our comfort, we end up neglecting our calling. And as a follower of Jesus, each one of you have been given a calling. Don't neglect it for the sake of being comfort. Don't neglect it. You have been given a calling that is deeply instilled in your being that God has wired you to do and become. Don't neglect it. When you neglect your calling for the sake of comfort, ultimately you're neglecting God and you're neglecting those in need. It's more than what's going on in your own head, in your own heart. You're actually neglecting God's will and you're neglecting those in need around you. In the Gospel of Luke, We see where Jesus is with his disciples right after Jesus healed a paralyzed man that was lowered into a packed house through a hole in the roof. It only happened one time, just so. (laughs) And Jesus invites Levi, that's his name in Hebrew, his name is Matthew in Greek, who's a tax collector to follow him. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 5, verses 27 And 28 says this, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Jesus rolls up and says, follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. You got to understand the context of what's going on here. Tax collectors were the low of the low, the scum of the earth. They robbed their own people. And here is Matthew, a.k.a. Levi, at his tax collector booth in the process of robbing people. Jesus comes up and says, hey, dude, stop what you're doing. Follow me. Now, understand, tax collectors are, like, excluded in Jewish culture. You don't talk to them. You don't communicate with them. You stay away from them, right? So when it comes to Jewish culture, Matthew would actually be excluded from participating Because he's the low of the low. And yet here we find Jesus, son of God, approaching him and asking this man to follow him. Look what happens next. Verses 29 and 30. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of other sinners and others were eating with them. Other tax collectors. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. They're like, yo. Why is this guy eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? Like, yo, this, this dude said he's the son of God. Like, he's, he's holier than now. He's, he's, he's the one, and yet he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Disciples, get your boy, right? Something is not right here. Check him. 
Now, this even caused an issue with the disciples themselves. They're like, whoa, whoa, wait. Jesus like, I get it. Feeding thousands of people, healing the sick, preaching awesome sermons. Like, that's all good. But hanging out with the scum of the earth, Jesus, I don't know. I don't know, like, if we start associating with these people who are the low of the low, we're going to start to look like them, or people are going to start to assume, like, we, we're like them. Hold on, Jesus. Maybe you got a lot right, but this one, a little too much. Look how Jesus responds, verses 31 and 32. He says, Jesus answered them, is it not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick? I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The message version says this. I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders. An invitation to a changed life, changed inside and out. Rachel Held Evans, who's a great Christian columnist and author who passed away a few years ago, she wrote this quote, what makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. Who it lets in. You know, as uh, you guys heard a little bit about my story, when I first came to Long Island to the Experience Vineyard Church, I was hired as the youth pastor all the youth make some noise in the building. Awesome. Awesome. You can always rely on that, right? I was hired as a youth pastor, and uh, when I first came out to Long Island, my wife and I, uh, when we came on board, we, there were about 40 existing kids in the youth group who grew up in the church, right? Their families were there, and they grew up in church, and, and, uh, when we were walking through the church and hearing the vision of the church from the, the lead pastor at the time, and he said, yeah, we got about 40 kids who, who are here, and they're awesome. They need, they need a leader. But we also have this group of teenagers that hang out outside the church that we have not been able to reach. And I'm like, of course, you're a 60-year-old dude. Like, no one, <laughs> just don't give a, hey, kids, you want to hang out? Like, it doesn't work. <laughs> just doesn't work, right? But in that moment, right, I saw the area where the kids were hanging out, and something happened in my heart and my wife's heart. Yeah, we totally wanted to be there and, and lead and care for these teenagers who grew up in the church, absolutely. But something happened when we heard that there were a group of teenagers hanging out right outside, 10 feet of where the front doors of the church were. And these kids smoking, drinking, loud, hanging out, doing all sorts of stuff. And, and there was a desire on the lead pastor's heart to reach them, but he couldn't quite do it. And something I remember, just my, my wife and I talking about that, and like our hearts just begin to break in that moment. And so fast forward, we get hired as the youth pastors, and we're hanging out with the kids. We're doing all sorts of crazy stuff, typical youth group night. Any youth leaders in the room? Raise your hand. Give it up for the youth leaders. You know, it's interesting, right? As a youth leader, I, I, it's, it was so much. I had a lot of fun as a youth pastor, you know, with the pizza, destroying the building, right? Like, 
I had fun. Now I'm the guy yelling at the youth leaders to do. So keep doing what you're doing. No. But uh, so it was this, this one night. I'm hanging out. We're having a typical youth group night. And so it was actually a pizza night, right? And so I'm, I'm talking to the kids, and I got like 12 boxes of pizza stacked up here. And it was a Thursday night, and all of a sudden, as I'm talking about to say the blessing over these 12 pizzas for these youth group kids who are starving, right? You're always starving, right? And uh, we hear this loud, we hear this loud music, we hear all these screams, we hear like bottles breaking. And I look right outside the door, and there's about 30 teenagers just hanging out, like loud, smell the weed, you see all sorts of stuff going on out there. And I remember in that moment, as I was about to pray a blessing over the pizza, sitting here and having a bit of a tension going on in my heart. If I could be completely honest, partly it was like, I was a little annoyed. Part of me was like, how, how dare they disrupt what we're trying to do here? But then there was another part of me that actually my heart broke. And literally, I'm standing in front of these kids and a few of my other uh, youth leaders just having like, like this crisis of like not knowing what to do. And I remember just standing there, closing my eyes and praying like, God, give me wisdom in this moment. What do you want to do, Holy Spirit? Guide me. And I remember just saying that prayer to myself and opening my eyes And I said, here's what we're going to do, guys. We are actually going to take our pizza and bring it over to those kids. Now, to be honest, like, I was very afraid, right? For my job, one, like, what's going to happen, right? They're going to go home and tell these kids we hung out, we partied with the youth, you know, these other kids. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that was going through my head. I, I was afraid. I didn't know how these other kids would respond. There was all sorts of tension going on, but I knew in my heart of hearts This is something that needed to be done in that moment. And so I said that to the youth group. I'm like, hey, guys, we're going to take the pizza. We're going to do something radical. We're going to actually bring it to those kids. And they're like, what do you mean? Those are our pizzas. You can't share our pizzas. At least let me get my slice first, right? Like, it was, we, were just, we were just all having this tension, right, in this moment. Like, and I was like, guys, I feel like God wants to do something tonight. And I don't know what's going to happen. All right? But I feel like God wants to do something. Let's bring the pizzas over. And they're like, okay. Right? So, so, we, so we grab the boxes of pizza and we take it over. Now, between the property, right, there's our church, there's this fence, and then there's the movie theater, this alleyway that the kids all were hanging out at. And so all the youth group kids were like, you guys want pizza? And the kids were like, yeah, sure, right? It's, it was weird. It was a weird exchange. So, so our kids started rolling the pizza up and sticking it through, through the, here you are. I was like, no, guys, no. We're going to take it around and give it to them, right? Like, oh, okay, right? It's just a weird exchange. So, So that was the first night that we actually engaged. And it was, it was wild. It was wild just to see this, this happening. And you could tell that a lot of our, our kids were uncomfortable. They weren't used to engaging. But the other kids were just as uncomfortable. They didn't expect that. 
but you could see the dynamic. I remember just standing there watching and just a sense of peace began to come over my heart and, and I just felt like the, literally the hand of God was over that moment. Was over that moment. And that was the beginning of a life transformation for my life, for all the kids who were involved, and even our local church and our community. That was the beginning moment of God doing something. We got to meet one young man. His name was Matt. Matt Scotto, there's a picture of him there. So Matt, Matt was kind of like the ringleader of the group, right? So a few nights after we shared the pizza, I saw him hanging out one other day, and I was like, yo, what's up, bro? And he's like, he kind of cursed me out a little bit. And uh, I was like, why are you cursing me out? He's like, bro, you're a cop. I'm like, no, I'm not. Do I look like a cop? <laughs> like I had a whole complex. I'm like, do I really look like a cop? <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, dude, like, I'm from the other night. He's like, oh, bro, you're the guy that gave us pizzas, right? <laughs> and uh, we just started a, a conversation, and we struck up relationship. And that was the beginning of the summer. Now, a few weeks later, we continued to see Matt hanging out in the alleyway, and slowly, like, Matt and a bunch of the other kids, a few kids were skeptical. They started making their way into our church building, Right? slowly but surely and then it'll be five kids 10 kids 20 kids by the end of the summer there was about a hundred kids that were coming it was both kids who were following jesus and kids who were completely lost sharing pizza every week we got to know matt a little bit more about his life some of the things that he was navigating so one night after youth group, um, myself, my wife, and a few other leaders pulled Matt aside and started asking him some questions, you know, just kind of what of his thoughts on, on God. Like, we've been kind of talking a little bit about God, not too heavy, but just introduction. And, and he kind of shared, you know, he's like, he grew up Catholic, but, but something different was happening when he would be in our, in our group. And he liked it, but he was like, he didn't know how to, like, put a framework on it. Later in that conversation, uh, Matt actually lifted his arm and showed track marks. And he let us know that he was struggling from heroin addiction. So we began to pray for him, and we actually had a bunch of NA and AA groups actually going on in, the, in our church. And so we were like, hey, dude, just come to one of the groups, man. Look, we'll get through it. We got your back. You know, we're here for you. We're here for you. And he's like, ah, I don't know, man. Like, it's good to know that you're here, but I'm like, all right, let, let's, let's just pray for you then, man. And so we prayed for him, and, and uh, he went away that night. And then uh, two days later, we had to get a call from one of his friends uh, that he actually OD'd. Matt may have OD'd. Matt may have succumbed to his addiction. But Matt didn't know what the love of Jesus was like. Matt knew 
what it was to be loved and accepted regardless. Chasing after God means chasing after the lost. If Jesus is enough, there will be fruit from the way you live your life. Don't give up your calling to remain comfortable. When you remain comfortable, not only are you following your own will, not only are you neglecting God, but you're neglecting those around you that are in darkness and need the love of Jesus. That summer was wild. We actually met another student, this girl by the name of Lauren. That's Lauren. Now, Lauren was, they would call her wild child, right? So, uh, so we would play music during our youth group times, right? During the pizza exchange, we'd play music, and it'd, it'd be like okay music, right? It pushed the edge, but not over the edge. So we had like, you know, a phone that would play music that was radio friendly. Lauren would show up, and she would just plug in her thing, and it was like, whoa! <laughs> she was wild. She had a good heart. And she opened up to us over that summer. She told us that things that she was navigating and uh, how she had issues with her dad. Her dad was estranged, really rough upbringing. And uh, oftentimes we'd find her drinking by the church and we'd give her water and give her something to eat to, to help her navigate where she, where she was at and begin praying for her. And one time my wife had a, awesome conversation with her when she was actually, she was sober, right? She was walking by the church. We're kind of hanging out. She came inside and, and my wife was like, you want something to eat, Lauren? And she was like, no. <laughs> She's like, why? What, what's, what's, I just want to know, why are you so good to us? And my wife was like, what do you mean? Like, what, what do you mean? She's like, why are you so good to us? She's like, what do you mean? Like, people like me, people who are bad, people who do bad things, why are you good to us? The way you treat me, the way you treat us is not the way that the rest of the world treats us. So my wife was able to have a conversation with Lauren. She's like, Lauren, because you're special. And what you're navigating right now doesn't define who you are ultimately going to become. God has a plan for your life. It's like, oh, really, right? <laughs> but in that conversation, my wife was able to pray for Lauren. Six weeks later, we get a call that Lauren was murdered less than a mile from our church. And when we met Lauren, we had no idea what would happen to her. When we met Matt, we had no idea what would happen to him. 
But even though Lauren's life was taken from her, before she closed her eyes, she understood what love and acceptance was. Chasing after God means chasing after the lost. If Jesus is enough for you, there will be fruit from the way you live. Don't neglect your calling to be comfortable. When you neglect your calling, you're neglecting the will of God for your life. You're neglecting God himself. And you're neglecting those around you who are in darkness and need to experience the love of God. That summer, we also met this awesome kid named David. Show a picture of David and his mom. David, now he was the youngest of this group of teenagers. He was only 12 at the time. And uh, the first time I met him, he also thought I was a cop. So I don't know. (laughs) I don't know the bald head. I'm not sure what was going on there, but... But he was younger, so it was a little bit easier to get to, to know David. And now David uh, struggled. His single, single parent, he had an older brother who was in and out of rehab. And David hung out with these kids. Matter of fact, it was David the one was the one who called me and our other leaders when Matt passed and when Lauren passed. David has become sort of the son of our youth group and of our church. After the deaths of his close friends, David ended up making a decision to follow Jesus. David is now, it's crazy to say this, he's he's now in grad school. For education. He wants to help young people. Chasing after God means chasing after the lost. In Jesus' invitation to follow him, we are also commanded to assist others in their journey. The gift of salvation through faith in Jesus is something that is supposed to be shared with others. I'd argue that it demands to be shared with others. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the words of Jesus, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I love this last part. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God is with us every step of the way as we step into his calling to make disciples. We're not on our own. I don't know if you see the verses the same way I do, but there is no mention of comfort. Jesus doesn't say, you know, on the good days, 
make disciples. When your life is all good and everything's working out, make disciples. No mention of comfort. He doesn't say when it's good or when it fits into your schedule. He says just do it. I love this section of scripture that Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. It says, here is a trustworthy, trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. And Paul says, of who I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. The apostle Paul understood the gift of Jesus' grace, mercy, his love and acceptance. He believed because it was shown to him that he too might show it to others who are lost in their own darkness, chasing after God. He's chasing after those who are lost. I think for a lot of us here, right, we forget how dark our darkness was. We forget the pain of trying to fill the deep emptiness that we experience with all sorts of things that left us feeling worse. And not only that, we forget that there are people all around us experiencing that same darkness right now and are in need of love, light, and acceptance that are in our lives today. And if you have the right perspective, if you see his grace, his love and his mercy as a gift, and in the depths of your heart, you firmly believe that Jesus truly is enough for you, then there will be evidence by the way you live your life. The greatest evidence begins with understanding that your identity is in Christ as a son and a daughter of the living God. That no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That he that is within you is greater than he that is within the world. That that is part of your identity. That is who you are, who you were created to be. And your response to that the burning that should happen in your heart and the, the pit of your belly should be that you want to share that with the world. First John 3, 1 says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Amen? And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. See, being the light in the darkness of the world can look a variety of ways, okay? You don't have to be a pastor. Everyone goes, oh my gosh, right? Like, you don't have to go to seminary, right? You don't have to have years of experience. You don't have to tell your story to everyone you meet. You don't have to be weird. Be you. Just be you. 
God has wired you specifically to be you. And as Jesus has transformed your life and is in the process of transforming your life, be you. You don't have to mimic anybody else. If you mimic anyone, mimic Jesus, okay, right? But just be you. You don't have to be weird. Be you. Sometimes being the light can be as simple as awkwardly sharing a slice of pizza with hurting teenagers. That simple. Church, we all have individuals in our lives that are, are in need of love and acceptance that only our Heavenly Father can provide. But here's the catch. You can't share it appropriately if you're not experiencing it for yourself. You can't give something that you're not receiving yourself. So my invitation right now is for all of us to stand in this moment. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.